Today on IFS Talks, we have the honor of welcoming Dr. Janina Fisher. Janina is the Assistant Educational Director of the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. She's a former instructor at Harvard Medical School and an instructor at the Trauma Center, an outpatient clinic and research center founded by Besser van der Kolk. She is an international expert on the treatment of trauma and is the author of Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors, Overcoming Self-Alienation, and is co-author with Pat Ogden of Sensory Motor Psychotherapy, Interventions for Attachment and Trauma. She's known for her work on integrating neuroscience research and newer body-centered interventions into traditional psychotherapy approaches. Thank you so much for being here with us today on IFS Talks, Janina. A pleasure. Thanks much, Janina, for willing to sit with us. What parts come up for you today hearing your bio? You know, I realized that it's uh, missing two things, which are probably important for this audience. Um, one of the things that I specialize in, besides uh, somatic approaches to trauma, is integrating parts approaches to trauma. Um, a lot of IFS um, and some hypnotic ego state work. Uh, so, um, this is, uh, I feel like I'm talking to my people. Yes. <laughs> We're the people who know about parts. Exactly. Janina, will you tell us a little bit about your, your backstory? What got you interested to um, explore working with trauma as a career? Um, I was inspired by Judith Herman. I can still remember the day. It was September 1989. It was the first day of my pre-doctoral internship. And she spoke at a grand, a grand rounds. And she talked to her. Remember 1989? was still the age of Freud. I mean, still the age where everybody was very um, much a proponent of the talking cure. And she said something that just changed my world. She said, doesn't it make more sense that people develop symptoms because of real things that happen to them, not because of their infantile fantasies? And I thought, oh my God. Of course, this makes so much more sense. And, uh, and so I just was inspired in that moment to commit my career to the study and treatment of trauma. Janina, you, you are a renowned expert on trauma. In this amazing book of yours, Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors, 2017, you put together the best in trauma theory and trauma therapy. We can see the work of giants in the field of trauma theory, like Judith Herman that you just named, Bessel van der Kolk, Ono van der Hart, and many others. 
also influenced the influence of big names in attachment and development psychology like Alan Shore and Dan Siegel. On the somatic side, names like Ron Kurtz and Pat Hogden, Dakomi and Sensorimotor Psychotherapy Originators, and also Stefan Parge's polyvagal theory, and so many more we can see that influenced you and that you honor throughout your book. So your book is a masterclass on trauma, and thanks for writing it. Oh, thank you. So was there something originally that attracted you to trauma work besides the work of Judith Erman? You know, um, I did, I wasn't, there wasn't anything I was conscious of at the time. In 1989, I was just conscious of feeling um, just inspired. Um, probably 10 years later, um, I discovered from my 85-year-old father, I discovered that both of my parents had been trauma survivors which he had never disclosed prior. And, uh, and so then it all made sense. I thought, well, no wonder I felt this passion to do work with trauma. I, I didn't know why, but, but of course, in that moment, I knew why. Janina, coming back to your book, in your book are you describing uh, and suggesting an integrated model, eventually the trauma-informed stabilization treatment, or are you suggesting a treatment paradigm, or a treatment gen in general guidelines, or all these and the above? Probably all of the above. I think, you know, I think the trauma field started out as a field of integrating models. Because in 1989, we didn't have formalized trauma treatment models. We had the talking cure, if you talk about it, you'll be okay, which didn't seem to work very well. So all of us in the trauma field, we just begged and borrowed any technique And if it worked, we said, oh, this is trauma treatment. In 1996, I was overwhelmed with a number of very severely traumatized clients, um, clients with dissociative identity disorder. And in desperation, I picked up the Mosaic Mind, Dick Schwartz's book. Oh, that one is. And it was another one of these moments of inspiration where I thought, oh, this is how we should treat dissociative disorders. And, um, and it became, it really transformed my practice. I'm self-taught at IFS, but I, I, I love it. And I love the, the whole, um, I think the whole kind of ethos of it. Mm -hmm. as well as the techniques. So what attracted you into IFS, it was that book from Richard Schwartz, The Mosaic Mind. And it was this idea that these very highly um, 
symptomatic, out of control, high risk, suicidal clients had had a higher self inside them. I didn't have to save them. They were fully capable of saving themselves. And that's, and so I began to teach my clients um, how to find self um, or how to find self energy. Um, because what I found, and Dick and I have had many, many discussions about this over 20 years, the severe, severe clients whom I see have a very hard time developing self-energy in the usual ways of asking hearts to step back or step aside. Um, but I found they could still develop self-energy if, if I help them to consciously and intentionally increase their curiosity, increase their capacity to find calm and clarity. <clears throat> Even if we approached it more cognitively instead of more spiritually, it could work for these very, very um, extreme cases. Beautiful. Yeah. listening to a talk that you gave on YouTube and you talked about um, healing trauma and um, gave this this beautiful quote from Rachel Yehuda um, who asked what does it mean to treat trauma um, does it mean to treat the event or does it mean to treat the shame the sense of defenselessness the hopelessness I was struck by how how beautiful that holding of the space of what happens for our clients when they are working through trauma to really have that perspective and yes. understanding. And it's so, so beautiful. To me, it's so clarifying because it's so often when we talk about trauma, the assumption is we mean the event as opposed to the parts as opposed to the, what I call the body and feeling memories held by the parts. Janina, it looks like when it comes to using parts language to address the splitting resulting from trauma, you were influenced and inspired both by the works of uh, Ono van der Hart's theory of structural dissociation and by FES. Uh, do they integrate well or do they go together? I think so. I think, I mean, again, if Dick were here, <laughs> yes. he, he and I would have, a, you know, we would have our usual disagreement. Um But I, again, I'm coming from the perspective of severely traumatized people who struggle just to get through the day. And so the theory of Anno van der Hart um, bring this idea that we all have an instinct to go on with normal life, to fight to function, to fight to raise 
our children in a loving, healthy environment. And to me, that's more than a manager. And I think that my somatic approach um, influences me because that instinct to function, no matter what, and every therapist knows that there, you know, there are times in a therapist's life when we're struggling with something in our own lives, a loss, a tragedy, an illness, and we think, how can I possibly be there for someone else? But as soon as the client shows up, there we are, that instinct to, to keep on keeping on is more than a manager. So I started to integrate the clinical techniques of IFS with this theoretical model from the Anna van der Hart, so that we had a more, um, a more neurobiological theory with the beautiful um, and I think healing IFS techniques. the including the body so important in the healing of trauma and in your work because we now know thanks to Bessel van der Kolk that trauma has very dramatic physiological effects and that most likely we believe because from an evolutionary sense the cavemen and women whose trauma responses remained active, lived to become the next generation. Because if those physical effects of trauma get reactivated anytime we're triggered, and it means that the body continues to perpetuate the sense of threat or the sense of, of shame or the sense of um, being compelled to do what we don't want to do or the impulse to fight. Um, so we have to, I mean, we have years of research that shows that if we don't address the, tr the body, either directly or indirectly, um, we don't, we don't resolve the what we call the implicit aspect of trauma, which are the nonverbal memories that I believe are held by the parts, that the parts hold those nonverbal somatic responses. And so we have to work with parts, but we have to work with the parts and the body. Janina, you say you believe the key to healing is not just knowing what happened, but transforming how the mind, body and soul still remember it. So, somehow you help your clients to remember traumatic events differently. So, what does different mean? Well, I actually don't 
try to help anybody remember traumatic events. What I do is I, I help them to understand their feeling and body memories as the trauma they're carrying. So rather than say what, you know, let's let that little part tell us what happened. Um, I'm more likely to say, notice what gets triggered for her in this moment. Um, because that's what I'm most interested in. I'm most interested in the implicit memories. Um, most of the time, most clients know, at least in a general sense, what's happened to them. The the ex, you know, if we go for the exile who holds the details of the event, that obviously brings more awareness, but it doesn't necessarily resolve the trauma. I'm I'm working right now with with a client, I'm doing video sessions with a client um, of an IFS therapist. She's my former client. She's Frank Anderson's current client. And we're going to be doing a workshop together in which we compare and contrast our, our related but slightly different ways of working. So her, her exiles are sharing a tremendous number of traumatic event memories. <clears throat> but she has a very, very difficult time after they do so because she has such intense physical and emotional responses. So I'm using my integrated model to help her to resolve the the feeling and body memory piece of it. And uh, and it's a wonder, I think it's a wonderful collaboration because, um, because she she benefits so much from the IFS piece of her work, and she also benefits so much from what we do. Can you share what some of those techniques look like? So I'll, I'll use this client as an example. Um, she, in, that, in the first of this series of sessions we scheduled, she said to me, I have a problem. I can't find self. And my parts don't like self. They think self is another part. And they're really freaked out by this part that they don't know. And I said, oh, what a shame that those parts are so afraid of self. I said, self is not a part. Self is a place in your brain. And, and we're just offering the parts a place in the brain that's already there. They can choose to, to take advantage of of that self-energy or that place in their brain. <laughs> I have to be careful not to say self to her. I always say that place in your brain. And since then, her self-energy has been growing um, because there is no longer all this kind of 
interference by protectors. Stay away from self. <laughs> Scary. Um, I taught her clarity by giving her a somatic cue. I said, you know, what's missing here? I, I, did, I did it this way. If this is, you know, somatic therapy is not just about what do you feel in your body. It's the therapist using his or her own body. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, I said, you know, each part sees the world through its little telescope, right? So they all look through their little telescopes and they see just that part of the world that is scary or meaningful to them. They need you to have a wide angle lens. And I, and I brought my hands up to show her the difference between a zoom lens and a wide angle lens. So, so now she's developing clarity by using her wide angle lens. And, uh, and so we've been doing this with, you know, she had her protector parts didn't like the word compassion. Compassion, bad idea, not going near that, God forbid. <laughs> so, so I started playing with, with the idea. I said, well, how about kindness? Would it be okay just to offer these young parts kindness? And she said, mm, no, I don't think they'll go along with kindness, but Empathy, I can do. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so now we're working on, on just helping her to empathize. And that seems, I mean, you know, obviously we get, we get interference from various protectors. But, um, but in general, she can do empathy. So there are just these modifications that help her to begin to develop more self-energy. Um, and, and even the, and for instance, another little minor modification I use for trauma is instead of asking parts to step back or step aside, I ask, would you ask those parts if they'd be willing to sit back? Because what I find in the very traumatized clients is that step back feels like rejection to the young child parts. And, uh, and then that triggers them. But if they're okay with sitting back, right? So, right, I don't want you to go away, but would you be willing just to sit back a little bit? Lovely, lovely. And also, I don't know if, if Dick still uses this language, but he did back in the late 90s. Um, he would talk about, would this part or that part be willing to step back and make more room for you? Does that yes. language still used? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's in the manual. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful language. And I find the parts really respond to that, too.
you have a chapter on your book called Repairing the Past. So, is this possible to repair the past? Well, we can't undo. I think that's a great question. So, thank you for asking me. Um, we can't undo the past, we can't make it not happen. But we can repair. Um, we can repair the wounds of these little parts okay. um, by providing them what I call miss, the missing experience, whatever that missing experience might be. So with, um, with the client I've been working with recently, um, the, her, she has a teenage part that was molested by an adult she trusted and the repair. So we had to really, we had to really play around with what that teenager needed. Um, and, and to use the, the images the part kept giving her to help us figure out what what was that part asking for? What was the experience that was missing then? And, and as we found it, it was really um, being heard. It was being acknowledged. It was being believed. So as she has been able to communicate, I am here and I do believe you. And... I'm I'm going to be a helper, not someone who's failed to help. Um, you know, so instead of unburdening, which again, I think I've found unburdening works with clients like us, but I haven't had such good results in uh in clients with DID and very severe trauma-related disorders. Um, it's as if we unburden one part and three more pop up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then you unburden those three, right? And five more pop up, yeah. <laughs> right? So the missing experience approach seems to settle more of the parts down and, and to provide this sense of healing and sense of, um, that it's different now. You say also, um, and I'm quoting you again, in a mental health world that rejects the notion that personality and identity can be fragmented and compartmentalized, therapists are rarely trained to see the splits much less the life or death battle for control being waged by selves with opposite and aims and instincts. So it's still like you describe here, therapist training programs and this lack of skills to see the splits. Again, in the traditional mental health world, in my world, most people believe in parts. Right? Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm very blessed when you know, when I, for example, um, consult to 
clinics and psychiatric hospitals and residential programs, I hear the same old language that has always been um, used, which is that that client is borderline oh. attention seeking and manipulative. <laughs> yes. And and you know and and no recognition. There's a lot of research that shows that dissociative disorders are dramatically underdiagnosed because it's much easier to call them borderline yeah. and relegate them to the bad client, um, you know, category. So, so what the beautiful thing is. The approach I wrote about in Healing the Fragmented Cells has been effective at the state hospital level. So so I've been able to do consulting to several state hospitals to teach them to understand their borderline patients as fragmented and to understand that the suicidality and the high-risk behavior is really a reflection of the battle inside. There's so much shame and self-loathing in uh in the system of trauma survivors and that very dynamic that you describe really contributes to that. Right. Um, what, what do you, what do you do to work with people through shame and, and the self-loathing and self-criticism? That's where a parts model is, is our, is our best hope. So, so I, I usually reframe or shame as a relationship between a critical, a harsh critical part and an ashamed child. So I ask the client who's saying, oh, I'm such a terrible person and it's all my fault. And I say, is that the voice of a part accusing you of being at fault? Or is that the shame of the child? And most people say it's both um, when given that choice. So, so then what I have to do, which is very much in keeping with IFS, is I have to consistently, without fail, reframe the shame as a part. Which is very hard for many therapists because you have to have a willingness, and a comfort level with interrupting. I think that's true with IFS, right? You you have to have a comfort level with interrupting to say, oh, so a part of you feels ashamed. But it's it. I found a parts approach the most effective way because then I can help the, the client develop a a self-to-ashamed part relationship. I can help the client even develop some compassion for this this critical part that keeps saying, 
you're horrible and you're disgusting, etc. So I reframe the critical part as nervous. I say, you know, that part, it's such a nervous number. Think of that part as asking you questions. Are you going to fail? Are you going to blow it? Is it your fault? Are you going to look stupid? It's just so worried it can hardly stand it. And, and when they start to hear the judgmental part as nervous, um, some of the intimidation that goes with that part decreases. Then it's easier to have more compassion for the ashamed child part. But I think that what's tricky about shame is that it's both, it's a relationship between two parts. It's not one thing. Right, there's a, the, a shaming manager and then an exile that holds shame. So under, getting the nuance of, of different um, functions of the shame. Is- right, but the shaming manager has a, has a kind of firefighter energy because it's, it's intense often and people really report feeling intimidated by it. Janina, you also say that we own some parts and disown others. And why is that? I think, you know, I think it's an idea very consistent with with IFS. I think most people identify with their managers. That's me. That's who I am. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a this, I'm a that. And they disown their exiles. And often they disown their firefighters. Um, depending on on the need, you know, sometimes, you know, when when people over-identify with suicidal parts, that's what gets them in trouble. They don't, instead of disowning, uh, well, not disowning, instead of relating to the suicidality as a part, um, they relate to it as me. And, and that over-identification heightens the risk. Janina, the theoretical models for understanding trauma to which you have committed have their origins in neuroscience and attachment research, so mostly empirical support theories. How did the IFS spiritual side land on you? Well, you know, I've always, I've always believed that, that spirituality and psychotherapy go together. I, I've never seen spirituality as something alien to psychotherapy. And I've tried as much as possible to integrate people's spiritual resources into the therapy. So it's it's very comfortable for me. Um, in sensory motor psychotherapy, we talk about body, mind, spirit. So actually, the a spiritual component is embedded in a somatic model. Um, so it. It just, it makes sense to me 
that we that we that we have a spiritual life and that spiritual life has an impact on the body when people meditate when they pray their nervous systems calm right they feel they feel more centered they feel lighter um so if you know if there are really neurobiological effects of spirituality as well as the emotional yeah, exactly Janina, a new book is coming, right? Yes, in a few weeks. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And what is this one about? It's called Transforming the Living Legacy of Trauma. Um, and live, the living legacy, is, this idea of a living legacy, is, is really meant to communicate that Trauma is not over when it's over, as you know, which because it continues to be carried by the body, the brain, the parts. Um, and so it's a it's a workbook for survivors and therapists that takes the survivor step by step from I'm going crazy, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I don't want to think about what happened. It takes them step by step uh, yeah. to not again, not to, to healing, because you'd have to write 10 books to get people <laughs> from the very beginning yeah. to I'm healed. That would take many, many, many volumes. But it's really meant to be a a trauma kind of 101 um, and and really support the de-shaming um, of what they're going through. It sounds like a great resource. What compelled you to put a workbook together? Because one of the things Judy Herman taught me back in 1990 um, was she's a, she's a political feminist. And she believed that the, the power differential between victims and perpetrators obviously is huge, but also the power differential between therapist and client. So she had this theory that if we educated our traumatized clients so they knew as much about trauma as we did, it would equalize that imbalance of power. So, you know, I started my postdoctoral fellowship with having to learn how to teach my clients about the nature of their symptoms. And, uh, and to which in those days, in 1990, that was considered non-therapeutic. That was considered too intellectual. Right, because we were supposed to be delving into the deepest, darkest recesses of their traumatic lives. Um, 
But what I saw was that people thrived on education, that the more they understood, the more they could be equal partners in the therapy. And, um, and so I developed a psychoeducational flip chart, which consists of 22 very simple diagrams that explain trauma out to people visually more than verbally. Um, because one of the more robust findings of the, of the trauma research um, is that um, when trauma responses are triggered, the prefrontal cortex goes offline, which means that the individual's ability to think, to be mindful, to be in self, are, are dramatically decreased. Yes. So this, these simple diagrams, which I used to do by hand, I used to have a little easel in my office, and I would just draw a simple diagram of the brain and show my clients what happened when they got triggered. So I took those drawings and I created a, a psychoeducational flip chart. And so I'd always had this idea to create a workbook to accompany the flip chart so that people could use it for self-healing rather than being dependent on a therapist. I'm looking forward to see that workbook and that new book of yours. And there's actually... There are, um, there are pieces of Anna Vanderhart in there. Oh. There's an IFS, um, there's an IFS piece. Uh, so um, there's actually a worksheet on developing the what I call the C qualities, um, because again, in a workbook, it it's too complex to try to teach IFS, but I created worksheets that help clients to grow their seed qualities. You do a wonderful integrative work, Janina. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, it's such a joy to speak with you. Thank you. So thank you so much for having us. And I hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives.